you know, the reason they, they like reading my stuff is that I've always got real life examples to prove what I'm saying. There's a lot of good people that listen to this podcast. You know, other than God and my family, deer hunting would be next in line on my list of priorities. From the bottom of our hearts, it's it's just fantastic and awesome to uh, to have the support that you guys are getting. People ask me about expandable broadheads and love swings. <laughs> Chasing Giants with Don Higgins and Terry Peer. Brought to you by Osseo Camo, nature's most lethal camouflage. Follow along as Don and Terry discuss the techniques, strategies, and dedication needed to harvest one of God's most amazing creations, world-class whitetails. Well, hey, everyone, this is the Chasing Giants podcast, episode 117 with Don Higgins and Terry Peer, brought to you by Osseo Gear. Don, within a blink of an eye, it's the middle of May, and we're in the midst of food plot season. Yeah, we had fantastic weather here this week and uh, got a lot of work done and hoping to finish up here in the next two days. Yeah, it's. Um, I, I want to first, as we're talking about the weather, uh, I want to first just uh, mention that our thoughts and prayers are with the uh, folks up in Minnesota that got hit by that tornado. You know, that area that area has been really wet all year, and they were already probably two to three weeks behind planting season to get their corn in. And then that tornado hit um, or a couple days ago and a um, lot of damage but um we want to keep those people on our thoughts and prayers but they're up there cleaning up and as soon as they get in the field they're going to keep going at it just like farmers do yeah i throw a little adversity at them and they find a way and uh sure hate to hear what happened to them but uh our prayers are with them yep so what did you get done this week well i started out earlier in the week uh west delks and i uh I cleared some shooting lanes at a couple stands. Uh, one of the stands him and I had put up back on Super Bowl Sunday, actually. And uh, oh, the weather was was really cold, and we uh, got the stand up, and we set another one just at the base of the tree, a couple of ladder stands in some real uh, gnarly short trees where, uh, you know, like a Novick stand wouldn't work. And then we went back this week and, and put the second one up, and then, cleared shooting lanes for both of them, uh, sprayed some paths through the weeds with herbicide for uh, deer trails. And uh, so those two are set to go. And then I, uh, what I do, I sprayed a one-year-old switchgrass planting. It come back really nice. Uh, those people that were on the, or, you know, attended the master course this spring, saw that first year planting and, uh, well, the grass was coming in really nice, but there were some weeds in there with it and specifically some thistles that I wanted to get taken care of. So uh, I sprayed that uh, plot with 2,4-D to kill all those broadleaf weeds. Um, planted my soybean plots, or, or most of them. Uh, Steve Shields is coming in uh, Monday, tomorrow, I guess. And uh, on Tuesday, we're going to wrap up the planting here. I got one corn plot, one soybean plot, and a sunflower plot that uh, Steve's going to film planning. Um, so that was pretty much uh, my week. How about you? Um, first of the week, I was pretty tied up. Um, had to make a quick run up to Purdue University. We got to pick on uh, West Delks a little bit. You know, all those Purdue Boilermakers are pretty proud of their education, but uh, um, had to run up there Thursday. But then after I uh, got back, um, 
I got all of my fertilizer spread this week and the ground seed beds are ready. Um, we had one of those big pop-up thunderstorms come through last night that just made it a little too tacky to get on it today. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like right now I'm itching to get it done. I want to get it in the ground, but I have to keep reminding myself that I have plenty of time. You know, it's almost like that first week of October when deer season opens up and it's the wrong conditions and you just, you're getting the itch to get out there and get it done, but it just might not be the right time. And, you know, when I went and checked the, uh, the dirt before church this morning, it would, it would have just made a little bit of a mess. So it's not going anywhere. The seed beds are in great shape. So I'll be able to go in and spray our residual and then plant my corn and beans and have it done. Uh, I should be planted by, if I don't get it done this week in the evenings, I'll get it done this, this coming Saturday. Yeah. Um, good deal. And good point about not rushing things because, uh, um, we got plenty of time and you know when, with food plots we're not looking to harvest anyway so it doesn't matter that they mature a little bit later uh, than like the ag fields where the farmers are trying to get that harvest in uh, during the fall before bad bad weather sets in and um yeah I, i'm in the same boat with my corn i think most of the ag farmers around here have got the, most of their corn in and um very little is, is left to be planted and um so i i mean i don't feel a bit bad that i don't have mine in yet but you know another two three weeks i'd be feeling bad but we got yeah. a pretty good window ahead of us yet where we can get them in you know i've the best soybean plot i ever had was last year and i actually planted it on the holiday weekend the first week of june and um so um you know like i said i, I know everybody gets antsy and uh in a rush because they you know we're all, we've been cooped up all winter now it's time to get out and have a little tractor therapy and and uh it's the start of our anticipation but um one thing i forgot to do uh, all those trips to the farm that i made this week i forgot to put mineral out believe it or not so in such a big rush to get over there so i've made myself a note and i've thrown uh two bags of maximizer on top of my seed so i remember to take it over to the farm but but uh i did i did forget to do that but uh, i'm really close to being set for everything and then i won't touch anything till probably july when we start hanging cameras and uh hopefully won't with the residuals that we're spraying hopefully won't have to spray a, a herbicide but if we do we do but um one more week and i'll be all set till probably july i guess yeah, I'm looking forward to July myself. That's uh, about my favorite time of the year is July 1st, get those cameras out and uh, see what those velvet bucks look like. Yeah, um, talk a little bit about, um, I guess, I guess um, we have the opportunity on this podcast to kind of talk a little bit about real world, but we finished up our Miscantha season this, this year. And um, I think Monday was the last shipment of the year that went out. But what a what an awesome uh, product that has been brought to market. But how many people have supported this and hopefully using this for their management plans? Um, but it was it was a doozy of a year as far as Miscanthus sales goes for us. Yeah, I I think Miscanthus will probably surpass our soybeans as our top selling product. Um, last Monday was our our last regular scheduled ship date, but we had a few uh, 
you know, straggler orders come in this past week and, and we had just a little bit of inventory left of those hundred count bags. We'd sold out of the bulk bags. Right. So uh, this Monday will definitely be the final shipment. Uh, we're, we're sold out now and those will go out tomorrow. Yeah. So from the, from early spring, late winter, we've had what's called Miscanthus Mondays in the office where it's been all hands on deck and uh, except me, um, I don't come in for it, but uh, the the entire organization get, gets together and boxes up these huge shipments and multiple multiple UPS trucks every day. And uh, just want to just want to say thank you to everybody who's uh, who's given us our their business. Um, you know, we've we've gotten a lot of people contacting us back about the pilot program of soil charge. Um, you know, we ran out of that because it was just a limited supply this year early. And then uh, the the um, the dealer orders are up, and also the internet orders are up as everybody's getting their soybean blends uh, on order. So we're still we're still humping pretty hard there in the office. Yeah, and one thing I should probably throw out is that I, I just you know I knew uh, the situation in the whole country, the economic situation. I knew shipping rates were probably up, but just this week I really focused in on what some of these online orders are costing people in shipping and uh I, I just encourage everybody to first check the the website see if you got a local dealer and check with that dealer to see if that you can get product there because it'll save you a bunch on shipping and also you know people that are, are listening to this we can always use more dealers go to our dealer locator and if there's not a dealer in your area you know either consider being a dealer or if you know a business that would be a good fit you know, try to help us get the, those folks on board because it's going to save you a bunch of shipping. Yep. Um, another another little tip that we've talked about uh, occasionally, I don't think on this podcast, but in our It's Time to Get Real episodes that we do for Real World, we can't do a whole lot with uh, soybean bags because they're already right at the that limit of 50 pounds. But if you're ordering uh, bags of clover, plot topper, uh, smaller bags of mineral, a lot of times if you play around with the quantity or add different things uh we can put multiple packages in a box and the way the it's actually ups software that runs inside of our website you can actually ship two products for almost the same price as what you can one depending on those combinations uh you can't really do a lot with soybeans though because they once you get to 50 pounds they actually ding us a little bit more um, because of a heavy box, but if you're if you're getting small product on the website and can't find a dealer, play around with those uh, quantities or adding multiple items, and a lot of times you can get them for the same shipping cost. So, shipping, I mean, good grief, diesel fuel's crazy, shipping's crazy. I don't know what's not crazy right now. I hope I hope all the uh, people that voted the way they did are happy now. Well, I'm not sure those people work so. They probably get everything for free through some kind of a government handout and they don't have to deal with the consequences. And, um, you know, speaking of politics, I just had the chance last night to watch them, the movie by Dinesh D'Souza, um, 2000 Mules. If you haven't watched that movie yet, you need to. It's a documentary on the election. And uh, if you watch it, you'll come away convinced that uh trump was cheated out of the presidency and they offer proof it's just not opinions um they i, I won't spoil the movie but there, there's absolute proof that uh this election was rigged so 
don't leave much hope for this country if you ask me but well our hope doesn't have to be in the country we can be as patriotic as we want but our hope's in the lord so absolutely uh, if um if people aren't right in that area the country isn't going to matter but i'm still going to go down a patriot and do everything i can for what's right for this country so let's take a quick break and hear from our primary sponsor osseo gear osseo gear introduces a premium line of bow hunting gear that is unmatched Pairing nature's finest camouflage with the best technological innovations, Osseo Gear brings whitetail bow hunters the gear they need to be the best at their craft. The unique camouflage mimics the intricate feather pattern of North America's greatest predatorial creatures. Designed for invisibility, built for comfort, and engineered for function. Visit OsseoGear.com. That's A-S-I-O-Gear.com to start shopping. Osseo Gear, prepare to be invisible. All right, Don. Well, um, we're going to start off with the first submitted question of the week. And uh, we had one person submit two questions, and we thought they were so good that you're uh, you're actually going to use both of them from the same guy. So before we take a break and talk about Lester's feet, why don't we bang out question number one and question number two as I share my screen here for you. Okay. So question one comes from Brendan Wingard from Millersburg, Ohio. Uh, Brendan says, Thanks, Don and Terry, for the informative podcast. My question is about the broadhead debate last week. Joe said that mechanical broadheads are quieter during flight, therefore the animal will be less likely to duck the arrow. Is the animal reacting to the noise of the arrow heading its way, or is it reacting to the noise of the bow being fired? Thanks. Well, Brendan, that is a fantastic point, and it's one that I wish I would have thought of during the debate. Um, I, my guess is it's probably the bow being fired is making more noise than the arrow in flight. Uh, I know I don't hear my arrows um, as they're sailing towards the target. Um, so I was kind of taken a little bit off guard there um, by Joe's comment. Um, not saying that I disagree with him. I mean, I, I haven't done the test that he has uh, in regards to how audible um, the different broadheads are. But uh, I think you make a fantastic point that the sound of the bow being fired is probably louder and has more effect on the deer than the arrow in flight. Um, so, so that's a fantastic point. I appreciate you bringing it up. Yeah, I, th I think you're right. Um, like I said, I don't, I'm never downrange of an arrow being flung my way. So I hope I never have to figure out whether a, which type of broadhead is quieter. Um, but I know that, um, you know, you know, it's it's one of the claim to fames that Matthews actually started way back in the day is how quiet and smooth their bows were. Um, I know there was a big push in the archery industry for speed, you know, when uh, PSE came out with the hatchet cams back years ago that sounded almost like a cannon going off. But, you know, at the at the end of the day, I think what this alludes to, and and I'm probably stir up a can of worms with this comment, but when you're shooting 20 yards like bow hunting was intended to do, like what we try to teach people in the master classes and with the consulting jobs that we work on about getting that animal close enough to make an ethical harvest shot, um, inside of 20, 25 yards, it, the noise of that arrow flight isn't going to matter. 
Um, these guys that are flinging these arrows and crossbows, you know, 60, 70, 80 yards out across the food plot, um, I, I just can't get my head wrapped around it, nor do I take the argument that a quieter arrow is a better advantage because I think that's encouraging someone to do the wrong thing when they're archery hunting. If that's the case, put a 300 wind mag in your hand and blow the front shoulders out. <laughs> that's a good point. So um, I think Brendan, uh, I wish I would have been uh, thinking as quick as he was when, when uh, we was having a debate, cause I would have definitely thrown that back at Joe. But. Yeah. You, uh, you tend, you made a, you made a, a comment about that at the end of it. It's like, we, we need to find somebody that you don't necessarily agree with all the time, or you like to debate because it's hard to get fired up at good guys like Tony Laprad and, and Joe Miles because we respect both of them. Um, we have differences of opinion that we'll talk about, but um, it sure doesn't make it as dramatic as I think what people want. But it, I think some people are just waiting for the next Springer episode too. So, <laughs> well, the, I can think of a couple guys that I would debate, and it would be a real Springer show. <laughs> the issue is. One of them would never debate me because he's already been asked at the ATA show a couple of years ago. Somebody uh, presented the idea to him um, to debate at the ATA show and have it recorded for a podcast, a different podcast. I don't even think we was recording at the time. Right. Um, so he, he has definitely re refused the idea. And then a couple others that uh, I would have no problem going after hard. I, I'm not sure I'd even want to share the same platform with those two. So yeah, it probably wouldn't be worth it. It would give them too much credibility. Um, real quick, before we uh, go to the second question that he submitted, um, I did get a text earlier today requesting prayers. Um, I don't know if you've heard about it up there or not, but uh, I, this hasn't been confirmed. Only one person texted it, but I heard that an, uh, a, a young Amish person drowned in Lake Shelbyville yesterday. So I don't know if you've heard about that or not, but um, for the families and communities that are um, around that area and related to that uh, person that lost its life, uh, we want to keep them in their, our prayers. I did hear about that yesterday evening, Terry. I did not hear it was a, a local Amish until um, this morning, and I, I've not heard a name yet. Uh, I've got a lot of Amish friends in this area, and um, just hope it doesn't affect their families and uh, pray for whatever family it, it does affect. All right. So I got the second question up on the screen. You should be able to see it now. Yeah. The second one also from Brendan um, says, thanks Don and Terry for the great informative podcast. My question is about the Joey buck you shot Don. I have a very similar situation as you had when hunting Joey. What do you think would have happened if you had have dumped all of your smoky scent and hunted over it that day and Joey would not have showed, but instead would have come past the smoky scent the next day when you wouldn't have been hunting? Would he have spooked out of that spot since the scent was extra strong or would he have calmed back down and kept staying at that spot? Another thought I had was, I know you have been very successful in shooting mature bucks, although you have Although, do you have any idea why Joey is the only one that I know of that you shot on a very small woodlot? Since mature bucks want freedom of human intrusion and those small pockets of overlooked timber is oftentimes where it's at, 
How come aren't more of your bucks killed in these settings? Um, well, Brendan, first of all, I'll answer your second question first. First of all, I've killed a lot of bucks in very similar situations. I would gather to say the majority of your bucks have been small properties. That's exactly what I was thinking. And uh, uh, Trump is a perfect example that the Trump buck came from a small property. Just ask anyone who's been to the master course and seen where Trump was shot. Uh, we also look at... Uh, when we do the master course, we look at two properties that we walk, my home farm and another one a few miles away. And then we, there's two that we just stop along the road and look at from the road because they're so small. Um, the, the first one that we stop at and look at from the road, very small property. Uh, I've shot two bucks out of that small woodlot. Um, one of those scored 180 inches, the other one 168. Um, I've killed numerous 140s and 150s in past years out of very, very small tracks of cover. So uh, I think you're just a little mistaken there on, on where some of my bucks have been shot. I do appreciate uh, your comment though, and, and give me a chance to clear the air because maybe I haven't made it clear enough that uh, you know I'm looking for these overlooked pockets of cover, no matter what size they are. Um, you know, places where other hunters aren't. And often it's, it's a small, really small track. When you really think about, especially what was it two or three years ago when we had a couple, we had probably 10 tracks of, of ground over about four or five counties, the bigger woodlots were the worst of the properties because the bigger woodlots had people sitting on the property lines. Um, I think for both of us, it's been something that we've, we've kind of fallen back on but what people don't understand on this podcast is, you know, we really didn't do a whole lot of video documenting of any of your hunts other than articles uh, before Smokey. So, um, you know, most of these bucks that you've learned how to kill in open ag country came from that area. And then when I started hanging around you, that's what I brought back to Kentucky with all of these big connecting woods and hollers, finding these little isolated patches to where... I might only have 30 acres with four acres of woods and been able to kill bucks six and a half years or older on them every year. So um, the misconception that I think people hear is that I can never do what the guys out in big open ag are doing on my area because I might have too big of woods. You're still looking for the same thing and that's isolation. Um, but um, yeah, I, I just, I don't think he was trying to to set you up in the question or anything. I just don't think that uh, we've been around with this podcast long enough, nor were we videoing early enough in your career for people to see how many of those bucks on your wall to your right hand side right now, you know, um, are, are really killed in small woodlots. Mm -hmm. Well, I will also share that uh, there's, I've said it before on the podcast that Steve Shields and I have been working on a video project for about a year now, and uh, he's coming back tomorrow and, and spending a couple more days to to film some things. But uh, one of the things that we were filming last winter was we was going to a lot of different properties that I hunt and filming stand locations. And, you know, I was getting in the stand with the video camera and I, I'm filming exactly what what I'm seeing as I'm hunting there. Steve flew the drone over as I'm in the stand, kind of showing the, you know, the, the lay of the land from a high elevated view. And uh, 
I, I, that's just something to look forward to. You're going to be surprised when these videos come out. Um, some of the places where I've shot some of these bucks. Yep. So, all right, let's move on to actually the first part of his question where he talks about the deal with Smokey. I think that is a fantastic question. Uh, I don't know that we have an answer for it, but it's a great, it's a great conversation piece that you kind of, you waited for the right time to go in and then you were all in, dumped the whole bottle out because the story goes that you had to, your, your thought was pour it all out because I have such a, a short window of time to shoot. I, you wanted that buck to lock up mm. or else he would have scooted on by and presented a opportunity to maybe gut shoot him or something. So, uh, I, I'm, I'm really curious to hear what you say here. Well, for, for those who don't know the story, uh, it was, uh, a real small woodlot, a really thick cover. And I had a real narrow shooting lane where I expected the buck to come through and, I needed that deer to stop right there in that lane. And, and it wasn't that wide. We're talking maybe 10 feet and he needed to stop in that 10 feet. Um, it was a time of the year when the bucks are cruising. They're typically moving at a pretty good clip, especially on a morning hunt. And this was a morning hunt. And I knew that if he came through, he was probably going to trot right through that 10 foot shooting lane real quick. And it was so thick on both sides there was a great opportunity that I wouldn't even see the deer coming. He would just fly through that opening and then he'd be gone. Well, as it turned out, I did see him coming, but so in order to, to get that buck to stop right in that spot where I wanted him to, I took an entire bottle of Smokey's dough and heat scent. And I, I went to, before I climbed in my stand, I walked over to that trail where I expected him to pass through. And then I just splashed that entire bottle on all the bushes, just, you know, just poured it everywhere, the entire four ounce bottle and, uh, and then climbed in my tree stand. Well, as luck would have it within about 20 minutes of me doing that, here he comes. And exactly like I thought he's coming on a, on a pretty good clip and he comes into that, that shooting lane and locks up. He definitely smelled it and he locked up and, but, since I seen him coming, I was at full draw. When he locked up, he was locked up for a half a second and the arrow was on its way and, and you know, I got him. Um, so the question He didn't is, hear the broadhead. <laughs> no, he didn't hear anything. <laughs> um, but, you know, the, the question is, what if I had poured out all that scent and, and he wouldn't have come through? I, I'm not a, a, a bit concerned that that would have spooked him. Um, what I would have been more concerned with is that my scent as I walked over there to that trail to splash out that scent, that deer scent, that, that my own human odor would have spooked him. That, that would have caused me way more concern than that deer lure. Um, but that, I, I don't believe that that one event would have necessarily caused him to vacate that area. Now, it might, have, it might cause him when he comes through to be a whole lot more cautious to make hundred percent sure he's got the wind in his favor when he does. Um, but I don't think it would have spooked him from the area. I think, uh, and this is just obviously speculation because every deer's like every human, they're going to act differently based on what's on their mind. You know, if he's coming into that woodlot because something pushed him on the other one, he's thinking differently than if he's got his nose to his ground on the ground, searching a doe. But, um, my gut based on the limited experience compared to yours is 
it was a bigger risk for a, a doe to come through there with a buck following them and the doe lock up and know something's up and that buck never even come through the gap yep. than it would be for the buck to come through not knowing what's going on and not come up but um you know that's that's a risk and thing that we deal with in the rut every year but I have had doe doing trying something like that. Have the doe come in, lock up, catch my wind, something else, start blowing, and then she comes goes back the other way, and the buck never even comes through. So that's probably a bigger risk in the scenario than than what the question was. Right. So good question though, and you know we get a lot of questions every week, and I don't think I've ever picked two questions from the same person. Well, most people don't submit two questions, but there, there's people that do trying to, to find a question that we'll pick. Um, but those were two great questions by Brendan and uh, keep sending you, sending them in folks. Cause uh, the more we have to pick from the better questions that, that, you know, we can answer. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break and listen to a spot from quiet cat. If you listen to many of our podcasts, you know that minimizing human intrusion is the key to our success. Don Higgins and I have been utilizing the Quiet Cat bike for many years now. As shed season is here, turkey season is not far away. There's no better choice to navigate around your property than a Quiet Cat bike. Go visit Quiet Cat and use the word Higgins to get a free trailer with any Quiet Cat electric bike purchase. All right, Don. Well, we uh, we got two questions from one gentleman, but we're going to switch to Missouri and uh, a question from a gentleman by the name of Matt. So I'll let you read that one up on the screen right now. Yeah, this one comes from Matt Powell from Palmyra, Missouri. Uh, Matt says, hey, Don and Terry, first, thanks for all you guys do with Lester's feet and for using your platform to promote your faith. It has personally challenged myself to make it a priority to get my two young daughters to follow Christ. My question is about how to break up the hard edge from our timber to our food plots and ag fields. I've heard and read about feathering these edges, but don't fully understand exactly how it is done. Can you elaborate a little on how this can be done? Thanks for putting out this quality, noble podcast full of information. Well, Matt, there's a couple of really good ways uh, to soften that edge. And, you know, a hard edge is, is basically where a mature timber meets a wide open field. Um, so the deer, as they go either way, they're traveling from one extreme to another. Uh, to kind of soften that edge, um, the, the couple of ways that I like to do it is either plant a strip of uh, like warm season native grasses around the edge of the field or the edge of the plot. Um, for 20 or 30 feet or so uh, when doing that it, it depends on you know the purpose if I want you can do it for screening and use taller grasses and do it for screening so that the deer as they're coming out of the, the woods to the plot they cannot see what's out there very well and it'll help you to get into your blind or whatever out there and it'll, it'll prevent the buck from seeing what's out in the field and force him to come out and expose himself just to see what's in the plot um, a lot of times I'll use shorter grasses though, little blue stem, side oats, grommet, throw in some uh, various forbs and wildflowers, almost like a pollinator mix around the edge. And even those are going to get, you know, four to six feet tall. Um, so, you know, it's going to create some screening as well. But that's one way to feather the edge. Probably my favorite way, however, is to uh, 
go along that edge of the timber and use a chainsaw and cut any trees that are of no value, especially larger trees with no value and fall them out into the field and then just let them lay. So along that, that field edge, you're gonna have a bunch of trees that have been cut that are laying right along that field edge. And then uh, just let nature take its course from there. Let weeds and briars and tree saplings and whatever grow up amongst them fallen treetops. And that, that's a great way to create some good browse for the deer. So they're coming out of that, that mature timber. There's gonna be a browse species on that edge that's not found deeper in the timber. And then they're gonna step out into the plot. So it, it makes a softer transition, you know, from the bedding cover into the food. So that chainsaw, and you could actually combine the two. You, you could go through there and you could plant a 30 foot strip of native grass and then come along and cut your trees and drop them right out into that stuff and then just let nature take its course and probably, uh, you know, have the best of both worlds that way. So I got a follow-up question for you as it relates to this soft edge because our soft and hard edge, I don't think people really understand it. What's the difference or is it the same uh, calling it a soft edge versus like a staging area? I've heard that term being used a lot about where deer will, you know, kind of hang up a little bit till right at dark or especially in early season. Is that the same philosophy or is there a difference? Well, it's somewhat similar. A staging area can really um, be any any spot between, it's usually, it's between bed and food, but it's usually closer to the food source where the deer are traveling through thick cover and then they'll, before exposing themselves out into the open feeding area, whether it be an ag field or a food plot, they will hold up just a little bit inside that cover and um, usually you'll find a bunch of rubs there. Um, a lot of times it's where a bunch of trails converge to uh, enter the field in one location. But uh, one yeah. of the things, one of the things that I've observed over the years, and I don't know if I've completely figured it out yet or not, but you know, some of the farms that we're allowed to put food plots on is being used for ag. So you know, the food plots that we end up being able to plant are usually strips along the field edges. And when you're hunting those, it's like, you know, a lot of times that buck will step out just after shooting light. You know, it's almost like he's been standing there watching the field, probably with the right wind, knowing that it's safe. And then it's as soon as it's too late to do anything, you know, he steps out. Um, one of the things that I've noticed on my home farm is I put all my food plots out about 30 yards away from the woods um, in a couple areas and it just seems like, and, and it might just be coincidence and how the property's laid out, but they come out just a little bit before that last shooting light when you do that. And I don't know if that's kind of the same philosophy in it, but, um, you know, just moving that distance a little bit away, further away might give you the 30 seconds that you need to get a shot. Yeah. I mean, it's the same way, like around the edge of a, a tall switchgrass field. You know, you can feather that edge um, with shorter grasses. And I've done that, but we you know with, so for 20 or 30 feet around the edge of a tall switchgrass field, I'll plant shorter grasses. And, you know, those deer, what it allows them to do, instead of just stepping out from real thick cover that totally conceals them into wide open, it, it lets them somewhat expose themselves, lets them get a better view of the area that they're going to step into that feeding area and uh, before they expose themselves entirely 
and uh, I, I think it has merit. It. Uh, the other thing is you, you can go around those edges and you can really dictate where those deer are going to enter and exit your plot using down trees, fence, whatever, and you can put them right in your lap. Um, but th those soft edges are just something that a deer really likes for multiple reasons. And uh, one of them is because of the, the browse it provides, and the other is because it allows them to come into that open plot on a, in a gradual way, if you will, instead of just totally going from total cover to total exposure, they can somewhat expose themselves and, and somewhat see better and before they step into the wide open. Right. All right. Well, that's a good question, Matt. Um, I will say that the opening paragraph of your question there about your two daughters uh, being a godly father and, and encouraging those two young young girls to uh, have a relationship with Christ is going to be a whole lot more important than anything you do with a field edge or a, or a wood cover. So I'm glad you have your priorities there. That's going to be really important for their future. For sure. Absolutely. Good job, Matt. All right. Well, um, let's take a quick break. And this segment brought to you by Matthews Archery to talk a little bit about Lester's feet. Um, I... I we, Monday of this week, um, I just I'm completely humbled that um, the guys at the Larson Farms YouTube channel shared a complete segment on their video um, on their video that they released Monday talking about the foundation and and playing a video that Steve Shields produced for us. And um, I'm just I'm completely humbled and and very thankful that. It's just, it's a great example for everybody, no matter if you have a YouTube channel with, you know, a quarter million followers, or you just have a couple buddies that you have at church um, or work that, you know, just talking and witnessing and, and, and uh, drawing attention to things like this can make a big, big difference. And uh, we sold over $20,000 of raffle tickets within 24 hours of that video coming out. So uh, to all the folks that that watch the Larson Farms YouTube channel, um, thank you for your support. Thank you to Chet and Eric for doing that. It was uh, it was a huge blessing to what we're trying to do. Um, I guess the best takeaway of all of it is one of their viewers actually has a sick kid and didn't know anything about um, our foundation. And even though we we uh, sold a lot of tickets, we actually made contact this week with a family that really needs help. And uh, we're in process of doing that right now. Just this week, um, actually today, um, we made um, arrangements to uh, keep a, a lady with an autistic kid from being evicted from her apartment in Knoxville, Tennessee. And then out in Nebraska, uh, we had another child that is forced to go to homeschool because of her extended treatments in the hospital. The little kid, I mean, she's, a, she's a, I think, a third grader, uh, was her biggest worry when, when being sick and having to start treatments is she wasn't going to be able to do her schoolwork. And wow. uh, so the um, financial burden is really hard on the parents. So we were able to step in and uh, and get that young little girl a Chromebook so uh, she can maintain her lessons when she feels like from the from the uh, hospital. So all of these tickets that people are buying, the donations that are coming in uh, to the post office box, every single dollar of that is going back to one of these families. And no matter if it's just one ticket or one donation, um, it's just a privilege for us to be able to connect the dots to these families, but we're making a big difference to a lot of families. It's pretty cool. 
Yeah, for sure. So uh, we appreciate uh, Larson Farms for sharing that video and their support um, for all the listeners who have supported the the uh, raffle that we're going to have later this year. And, you know, we still got you know, almost two months, not quite two months, but a uh, month and a half. We need to raise as much money as we can. And 100 percent of it goes to help these families. So uh, you know, we're really uh, uh, asking the listeners of this podcast to jump in and not only purchase tickets, but if you could help us spread the word, that would be fantastic also. Yeah. So we check the post office box at least once a week. We, I try to get up there twice a week and then we, uh, we enter the, the, uh, the, uh, manual tickets, especially all of our friends listening on M tech, you know, I'm, I got a whole stack of uh, tickets that I got to enter tonight after we're done. Um, so, um, if, if you don't have access to the internet, grab a pen. I'll give you some directions. Um, we're going to be in the May issue of the busy beaver where there'll be a tear off with instructions there. Um, so whether you're listening on YouTube or on M tech, um, here's going to be some instructions if you do not want to purchase online. So you're going to write a check to solid rock chapel. And uh, in the memo line, just put um, Lester's Feet Project. And it's either one ticket for 25 or five for 100. You can buy as many tickets as you want. You can actually be drawn multiple times for different prizes. But um, write your check to Solid Rock Chapel. And then you're going to put that in the mail with a piece of posted note or a piece of paper with your name, address, and phone number. We have to have that information so we can contact you. So please write legibly. And if you have an email address, put that in there and then we can send you a confirmation of your tickets. But um, and then you're going to mail that to Lester's Feet Foundation, P.O. Box 250. That's Dry Ridge, two words, Kentucky. 41035. So Lester's Feet Foundation, P.O. Box 250, Dry Ridge, Kentucky, 41035. And um, we again, we appreciate everybody buying those tickets, but we want to put a big push here the last six weeks of this raffle and blow this thing up. And, and you know, the, the blessing in all of this is, is now social workers know about us. Now, listeners of Larson Farms know about us. This ministry has grown to where we have the opportunity to help these families and uh, we're we're having to grow our board um, in some ways of how, how we change responsibilities and do different things uh, to keep up with this growth. But it's a great thing that God's getting his hand out to all these people with sick children. So such a blessing. And we want to thank everybody. And thank you for Matthews for helping us uh, get this thing established. So. The Lester's Feet Foundation is a 100% volunteer, nonprofit organization whose sole mission is to help families with sick children. The impact on families who have children with life-altering illnesses can be devastating and often requires one or both parents to be away from work. Through our fundraising efforts and the help of our generous donors, Lester's Feet works with families to help alleviate the financial burdens associated with caring for their children through such a challenging time. 100% of donations and fundraising profits go directly to the families we are supporting. We are excited to announce that Solid Rock Chapel in Sullivan, Illinois is supporting our foundation by hosting a huge raffle with $150,000 worth of prizes 
including a new Chevy truck, a John Deere tractor, a material kit to a post-frame building, and much more. The drawing will be on July 4th, 2022, so please visit us at www.lestersfeetfoundation.org to purchase your raffle tickets and learn more about our organization. Um, with that, um, I'm going to switch over to our last listener submitted question, Don. And um, this one's a long one. We're going to take due diligence um, to listen to it here before the buy farm segment. So should be coming up right now. So this one comes from Ty Miller from Elkhart, Indiana. Um, Ty says, Hey, Terry and Don, fellow brothers in Christ, much of this topic has been woven into other discussions. However, I have two specific questions. I'm curious to your thoughts and look forward to you unpacking some more. The hunting industry is something a countless number of folks always want to get into. We see this from the countless pro staff signature mentions by forum members, hashtags included in every Instagram post, or the vomited list of sponsors and connections someone has with every post of theirs, unable to just share or talk about hunting without product mentions. Often these folks are merely wearing a costume, regurgitating slogans and taglines with no substance behind their thoughts and sharing. In a somewhat dissimilar fashion, we also are in an in interesting area era where I'll use the term well-intending deer experts are popping up everywhere it seems and overnight folks with no long pedigree of success or history of research now run a consulting business seed company or hunting show guys and gals that might have lucked into a 130 in michigan or killed one booner in illinois or a couple of giants off of private property in iowa are now experts willing to share their thoughts for a piece of coin in return all that to say, personally, having dabbled in the waters of the industry some myself, some would argue I'm in the shallow end of it still, I grew to absolutely hate it. Decisions based solely on money, folks deceiving buyers left and right with their advertisements or hiding the truth, or they themselves breaking game laws one day and then posting about God or his creation on Sundays. Can either of you for a moment share whether I'm right or wrong to say the vast majority of the hunting industry are merely corporate or fiscal sellouts, void of integrity as the majority ingredient in all they do? Follow-up question. To dig deeper into the well-intended experts, I got asked a great question the other day. With so much information at our fingertips and resources, of experts a mouse click away. Has the hunter knowledge base been deepened by this or diluted by this? I had to personally stop and reflect on this. I personally think I'd say the pool of hunter knowledge is vastly deeper now. Many of the true experts, if you will, if you will be like Proverbs 27, 17. However, there are so many false positives lighting up the depth finder with signal that you truly must dive down yourself every time to see if there is any true substance there. And that is an exhausting endeavor at times. God bless and good luck out there this fall. Wow. 
tie open a can of worms here, Terry. And uh, <laughs> well, can I say I... something about tie before you start? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, out of he mentions that he's dabbled in it. For those of you who don't know Ty Miller, he has a podcast small called Small Acre Hunting. A uh, very good writer. We've actually uh, had uh, Ty write a guest blog on our Real World website. Um, but there's very few. Um, sorry, I forgot to turn my screen off. There's very few people um, that I consider connected, affiliated, or that I've gotten to meet in the outdoor industry that I have more respect for than Ty Miller. Um, he is a man of integrity. He, he can't be bought and sold. Um, I've even tried to give him free real world product before he uses our stuff and he doesn't want it. He wants to pay for it. Um, but, um, I just want to say, um, out of all of the people that I've gotten to meet over the last 15, 16 years in this industry, there's very few that I think are as credible and as a stand up as a young man as Ty Miller. Um, and we've even gotten to meet his father in Shipshawana before. Um, I don't think the apple falls far from the tree on that one. <laughs> no, both good guys. And, you know, the reason that I selected Ty's question for this podcast is once again this week, I think I heard from three different young men looking to get into the hunting industry, looking for my advice on how to get into the hunting industry. And Ty's right. You know, it, it, you get on social media and it seems like, you know, every Tom, Dick and Harry is trying whatever angle to, to get in. Um, he mentions everybody that's killed a decent buck in their state uh, is trying to be a consultant. I see that day after day. And to be honest, I'm kind of conflicted a little bit on, on this topic because I, I've met a lot of really good people in the hunting industry and Ty Miller being one of them. Um, so I, I'm a little bit hesitant to paint the entire industry with a broad brush. Um, but on the other hand, there are plenty of people exactly like Ty described with no integrity whatsoever. They would sell their soul to be a part of the hunting industry. Um, and, and that's that's very concerning. I think a lot of them don't even realize, you know, what the hunting industry, you know, really is about. And when you do make it, if you will, um, what what you'll find. For, and you know, I, I was just a couple of days ago, I was going through an old um, photo album. Steve Shields is working on a video and he needed some old pictures of me. Um, and so I was going through an old photo album and I, and I saved a bunch of these photos on my computer that I'm going to be sharing on my social media here in, in the upcoming weeks. I'm going to do one every Thursday, uh, throwback Thursday. So, I, I mean, I'm throwing back some, I'm talking about some pictures when before I was old enough to drive, when I was just a little kid, uh, in the outdoors, they're all going to be outdoors related. Um, some earlier bucks that I shot um, that, uh, and anyway, while I was doing that little project, I, I got to thinking, you know, there's there's been a lot of years pass um, since some of those photos were taken. And, and I, I get a lot of young guys tell me, they say, I want to do what, you, what you're doing. What, what advice can you give me to be able to do what you do? Well, First of all, you got to realize that I've been deer hunting for over 45 years. This will be my 46th season this year. And it doesn't happen overnight. If, if you're getting a shortcut to, to the top, 
uh, your rise is going to be fast and your fall is going to be fast. And, and I've taken a slow but steady climb. Uh, my best advice to, to those young people looking out or asking for advice would be to, to be yourself. First of all, don't be a, a coattail rider. I can name, and I'm not talking young guys. I'm talking, I can name guys my age to this day are, are trying to ride someone else's coattail um, to get into the hunting industry, whether it be through consulting or whatever, um, TV, videos, um, you, you name it. They're, they're all trying to grab on to a big name. And Terry, you've seen it. We've seen it ourselves. People wanting to use, to grab on to us to, either promote their product you <laughs> they're not uh, trying to grab onto me <laughs> um well, chasing giants i mean they've tried to to get chasing giants i mean you and i have been given free product with the hopes that we will promote it and i think most of the people giving it to us realize that the only way we would ever promote anything is if we believed in it first ourselves but but the whole hunting industry i it's almost like <laughs> I, I just had a, a gentleman describe this to me recently, and uh, I don't remember if I've mentioned this on a podcast or not, but it's happened in the last month. Um, he said, you know, the crazy thing about the hunting industry is it's really a fairly small industry. Everybody seems to know everybody, especially the bigger names. And, and they, they all, when they're together, they all act like they like each other. But when you get them apart, they all hate each other. <laughs> And I know exactly what he's talking about. And, and the fact that, you know, that I, I think my niche, that the way I found, you know, my way into the hunting industry was just being myself. And I'm not a butt kisser and I'm not sucking up to anybody and I'm not a BSer. I'm, I'm, my integrity means a lot. I'm not going to sell out just because, you know, a, a good example is every single person listening to this podcast right now. I value each and every one of them. And, and there is absolutely no way that, that I would take advantage of that by trying to sell them something that I didn't believe in. And that's not the case with a lot of people in the hunting industry. So I, I don't know if that answers uh, the first part of Ty's question or not, but uh, I'll let you jump in here, Terry, before I go on to the second part. Um. I guess um, the first part is is also talking about the the slogans and hashtags and the product mentions and the, I'm I'm really torn here. I think I think it's really easy for people on social media to see through the crap, um, because here's the thing: I don't apologize for sharing something about Matthews, um, because that's a company that every single dollar that I spend with that company, I know is helping mission work around the world. Um, so I, I, I see, I know where Ty's coming from because so much of it, the hunting community itself has gotten jaded because, okay, to this week I'm, I'm promoting this company and this week I'm promoting this company. I even, I've heard, if I've heard it once, I've heard it a hundred times. Well, I'll shoot whatever somebody gives me for free or pays me to shoot. Um, I think if I'm honest, the majority of the industry is probably like that, but that's not to say that everybody's like that. And I think you just have to, uh, Ty did a, um, 
a, a segment on his podcast years ago looking at seed tags and i think he i think he even said something close to you have to cut through the crap and i think is social influencing is becoming the majority of companies advertising dollars this is going to continue to rise and rise and rise and as consumers and viewers of social media I think we just have to start looking through it a little bit better and understanding, well, what, why were they shooting this bow or driving this brand side by side last year? And now they're doing versus who dives in, who understands. Um, but if, if, if I can draw attention to good people trying to do it the right way with my platform, knowing that they're good Christian men and women that are trying to use their company and, um, platform, for the glory of God and to to put a product out there that means something for consumers, I'm not going to apologize about that. But I do think that people do uh, do misuse that, if you will. So where that balance is, I'm kind of torn. Um, but you know, I'm not a big hashtagger. I'm not a big product placement type thing. Um, but if if I have a reason to share something that I believe in that works, I I, I for instance I, I tagged still uh, still um, in a post about a pressure washer that I bought the other day. I don't have, I don't even know anybody at still, but this thing is an awesome product and I shared it. Um, I don't expect anything back, but if it helps them uh, sell another unit, so be it. But, uh, just sharing my experience. But unfortunately I think Ty is right that the majority of the people trying to get in this think that they're going to make money. Number one, that's the biggest misconception people. You're not going to make money until you just get to the point that you're huge. Uh, number two, you'll get cut tied. Ties will get cut with you a whole lot faster than you will cut ties with somebody else. Um, but, um, yeah, I think I think overall, I think the whole outdoor community is just as jaded as Ty is on this. Yeah, I agree. I think that's been the reason for our success. But one, you know, bit of advice I would throw out to Ty is that, uh, you know, the hunting industry is really no different than our society in general. No. There's a lot of darkness out there and we're trying to be a light. And I would just encourage Ty to, to be a light as well. He's doing fantastic. Don't give up. Um, if if all the light goes away, all that's left is darkness. And, yeah, we um, don't want to be on this island by ourselves, Ty. We need you right there with us. You're you're one of the few that hold the integrity that we respect. Yeah, and then you know, getting into the the second question Ty had in regards to the the information that's out there today, <laughs> is, it, is it you know better or or, or is it so diluted that? Uh, you know, you got to really wade through it. And I, I think it is really diluted. If, if I had to, and I thought about this, you know, before uh, we, we start recording today, Terry, if I had to put a percentage of information on the, the internet, good versus bad, I'm going to tell you that as I read information out there on a daily basis, especially social media, uh, you know, someone asks a question, you know, and then they, they get 25 or a hundred responses um or answers to, to their question i'm gonna say that probably the information on the internet probably 75 percent plus is bad information and no more than 25 percent is good information and it's just that you know everybody with a keyboard now has an opinion and you know someone who truly is an expert in whatever field it is their keyboard is 
most of the time no bigger than every other person's keyboard. And, uh, and a lot of times the person that's really not an expert, he's got so much more time to sit there and plug away on his keys on his keyboard. He comes across as looking like he, he knows something and um, when he really doesn't. So I, I would say that the information that's available today, yeah, there is there is way better information for a beginning hunter. Say a 25 year old guy today has way better information at his fingertips than what I had when I was 25, but he's also got to wade through a bunch of garbage to get the gold nuggets that are mixed in there, here and there. And for a beginner, it's hard to know what's the good stuff and what's the bad. Bingo. I think that's the key. Yeah. Um, I, I really see it in the land management uh, sector. There, there's a, a particular land management uh, or consultant that recently had a uh, logging done on his property. And now all of a sudden, this guy had no experience with logging whatsoever in his entire life, but he bought a property that needed log, had a logger come in. And now all of a sudden, you, you, you watch his social media and he's an expert on logging and this and that. And every other consultant out there is one dimensional, but this guy's an expert on everything under the sun. Um, when, when the fact of the matter is, he's got very, very, very limited uh, knowledge about most things that he preaches on. I saw three social media posts uh, this week that had advertisements for land consultings all over the land consultants all over the Midwest. And two of the three had aerials basically of an implemented pro property and it was it, it was satan trying to get me to stir the pot when i don't have a leg in the race to just comment how many bucks over five years old have you shot in that spot you you're bragging about it on a on a sponsored video by boosting it just to get you know advertised for your company how many put that plan on paper implement it now how many bucks have you shot and I think that's where the the disconnect in the consultant world really comes from is the people that can maybe put something on paper versus the people that can execute it. The other thing I had interesting, and I haven't even told you this yet, but I had a, a he's a land consultant. He does it as a business. Call me and ask me if I was going to be in a certain area of Ohio over the next two to three weeks. He knows I travel quite a bit for work. And I said, no, I don't think so. Why? And he says, I got a property I really want you to look at. And I'm like, you want me to look at? It? He goes, yeah, I just need another set of eyes on it. I don't know what to do with it. And I said, did you buy it? He goes, no, it's a customer of mine. I've already taken his money and I don't know what to do with it. And I just wanted you to come up and help me. Or maybe can you look at some aerial and give me some ideas? Because I've already taken this job and I don't even know what to do with it. And I thought, oh, my goodness. I mean, that's that's. People have seen a monetary um, opportunity here to, to make money in this, and they're going out and chasing their dream. I give them credit for that, but they're absolutely ripping people off. And um, I don't want to get on too big of a tangent. You know, I've talked about how much I respect Ty and, and uh, think the world of him. Um, I actually, I, there is one thing I do disagree with on Ty is he wrote a pretty long post not too long ago that I actually, I don't comment on, on much stuff, but I actually disagree with, and, and he was discouraging people from hiring consultants because of how many people were like this. And my comment back to him was, is I agree that 
you know, a lot of consulting work is a waste of money because of who you hire. And this isn't a Don Higgins or West Delks promotional segment, but there's so many people out there that don't know what in the world they're doing and they're taking your money. And, and Ty's point was he's heard from these people that get an, a, a, a credible person like you or Wes or maybe Tony that they said, well, it, it can't be that simple. Why did I, why did I pay all that money for just this simple advice? Well, that's because of all the garbage that's out there on the internet that people are trying to sell something. And for a, for a young hunter, um, a master class or a consulting visit, if, if you can afford it, I, I disagree with Ty on this point. Uh, he's looking at it from an opportunity to save your money, read as much as you can. The ability to cut through the garbage is, is it takes, you would be 10, 15 years trying to cut through this and learn what works and what doesn't uh, versus just giving a head start. So I, I appreciate Ty standing up and saying that, but um, it's really because of the majority of the consultants out there just haven't proven their track record to where they should be taking people's money. Yeah, I can build on what you just said, Terry, because I've had multiple consultants call or text or email me and, and ask the same thing. Hey, what would you, and, and even send, go so far as to send me an aerial, you know, here, here's this property. Would you put your food pot here and at point A or put your food pot in point B? Um, this is for a client of mine. Well, if you don't know, why are you in the business? Um, and <laughs> it, it just frustrates me because, uh, you know, I, I, I'll just be flat out honest. I probably charge more than almost, there's only one consultant that I know of that's charging more than me right now. And I know a lot of people are, are, you know, not well off financially where every dollar they spend, you know, they, they've got to save and, and they got to cut corners here and there to, to be able to hire a consultant. So I get it. They want to save some money. But have you really saved money at the end of the day if you hire someone that has never done what you want to do? You're hiring them to show you how to do something, but yet they've never done it themselves. It, you can almost reverse the rules. They should be paying you to show them how to do it because they've never done it either. It's no and, different than any trade, Don. You know, if, if you have a plumber, or a HVAC or whatever, and he he comes in and he has that um, hourly rate, you're not just paying for his time at your house or his tools in his truck. You're paying for his education, his apprenticeship, his journeyman, all of those years that he's invested in it. And, um, you know, because he has the credentials, I stayed at a holiday Inn express this week, but you don't see me diagnosing somebody for what's wrong with them health wise and telling them what to do, you know, and that's the extent of what it is. It's just, uh, there's so much, Ty, Ty, think, Ty made the point that there's so much information out there, you weed through it and get to the bottom of it and save yourself money. Uh, my argument back to that is um, it would be really hard for somebody to not knowing there would be so many years of trial and error to get to that point. He's already at a level he can see through the junk. You know, he's already, right. he's, he's already an accomplished hunter. Um, but the average person, I just don't think can do that anymore. Um, 
but you know, I, I appreciate his opinion. It's, 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 um, drawing light to the same problem, if you will. I mean, it's, it's really the same issue that we agree on. Well, if you really think about it, you really want to boil it down. Hiring a consultant. Why do you hire a consultant? You, you hire a consultant to save you years on the learning curve, right? It's not to come in and set up a whitetail paradise, although that's part of it, but they are saving you the years of experience it takes to get there. And so, you know, a person goes out and spends hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars on a hunting property, that price to, to hire a good consultant. And there's, there's multiple good consultants out there. I'm not saying hire me. I'm just saying hire a good one. Um, it's probably going to cost you, you know, about the, the price of one acre of land. One acre of land is going to save you maybe 15 years on the learning curve. And right. you're going to be killing the bucks. If you did it on your own, what you're going to be killing 15, 20 years from now, you're all of a sudden going to be killing five years from now. So, yeah, Ty, um, I, I appreciate you, buddy. And and for those of those of you who don't know Ty, I really recommend that you follow Small Acre Hunting on social media. Listen to his podcast when he has one out. He's a very good writer. Um, he does a lot of community service work and raises money for uh, different charities in northern Indiana. So uh, can't can't speak highly enough of this guy. So uh, if if you don't follow Ty, please go out and um, and follow him. Um, think, think the world of the guy I've actually, um, I know when we were trying to decide what to do about the clover situation this year, um, you know, if you guys, all the listeners remember, uh, with the shortage of clover with supply chain, real world was not able to get untreated seed this year. We had to, the only seed that we could get in the varieties that we needed had real high seed coating percentages on it. And when I'm trying to develop a marketing strategy on i don't want to be that company that tries to fool people and be honest ty's actually one of the guys i called to bounce ideas off of him because i respect him that much so appreciate you buddy good guy and so is his dad so yeah thanks ty all right well we're going to take a real quick break and look at a very exciting property from biofarm down in southern illinois i think this thing has some uh um real possibilities and we got don bailey on for this segment biofarm.com is your source for farm recreational properties rural homes and more now here is don higgins with this week's featured property Well, hey, everyone, this is Terry Peer with the Biofarm segment of the Chasing Giants podcast. I'm honored to have Don Bailey from Biofarm on the show this weekend. And Don, before we start talking about this killer property that's going to be up for auction, I just want to ask you, man, is is this one of the most unique times in real estate agency that you've or real estate industry that you've ever seen? Uh, yes, it is. It um, is unprecedented. Uh, various various reasons but uh people don't like to hear me say this jerry but i've a third generation farmer and land has been a good investment forever and land prices didn't follow prices up uh but we used to call it parity it's basically what a land price was in connection with the price of consumer goods uh and land was way below parity of being fair price to 
the cost of living prices, you might say. Right. Well, it's catching up now. Right. Uh, and people say, oh, man, that's high. And to me, it's not. It's, it's, it's still a good investment, and it's just catching up with a with a ninety thousand dollar pickup truck. Right, everything's uh, everything's kind of leveling out, and uh, you know the rush to buy property right now. Um, not only for the people looking for something, maybe even before the fear of interest rates coming up, or maybe even the people that are looking to sell. Uh, having a good quality agent and organization behind you that specializes in the type of property, I think, is vital. So, you know, we we've been um we've been a supporter of BioFarm since the very beginning, and you guys really went out on a limb for us to help get us started with the Chasing Giants uh kind of platform and brand. So we want to thank you for that. But most of all, with you guys specializing in recreational agriculture and rural properties. If you're looking to buy or sell a property, um, you need to work ahead with an agent like you or else you're going to be behind the eight ball when it's, when it's as, as high of a demand for properties as what it is right now. Well, thank, thank you for the compliment, but it, it's actually pretty simple. Uh, this is the reason that Buy a Farm Land and Auction Company was started. I'm one of the one of the actual founders uh, with uh, four other guys, and that's why we started it, Terry. Uh, people weren't concentrating and didn't have the knowledge that they needed for farms and and hunt property. Right. Uh, and, and it was uh, uh, real estate agents were doing their best, but they just weren't familiar with it. And that is why we started the company. Well, fantastic. Uh, and we've. Uh, yeah, we've been involved with you since your get-go, and, and we really appreciate the opportunity to stay with you uh, and and really value our relationship with you. Well, speaking uh, of that, we, uh, have, we have an unbelievable property that is going to hit your website. This is going to air on Monday, May 15th, on May, or excuse me, Sunday, May 15th, on Monday, May 16th, this is going to hit the website. And um, we got some pictures that we're going to go ahead and blast up. But this is going to be an auction for a Southern Illinois property, just a scotch under 200 acres. So why don't you talk a little bit about this property when the auction is, and let's go from there. It uh, has been a surveyed property, so we're not guessing the acres or estimating. Mm -hmm. uh, the survey calls for 199.57 acres, which I like because it gives you a a sense of knowing what you're talking about when you say the acres. Right. Uh, you know, unique, unique, unique. But this property is 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 unique. Uh, according to the topo maps, uh, it the Ohio River is 330 feet. The ridge on this is 600 feet, so it's 270 feet high. Uh, so I've been told it's the highest point uh, in Hardin County. Uh, less than 10% of it can flood. Uh, 90% of it is this, is, is this high ground. Which is uh, an extremely yeah. important for hunters, food plotters that are going in making an investment in food plots, maybe a hunting cabin, um, maybe, um, you know, elevated deer stands that the river's not going to come up and just sweep everything away. That's a big deal with people investing in that property to hunt. Correct. 
uh, has right around 50 acres of open land, pasture. I think some of it at one time was in CRP, but I'm not sure. Uh, with with a few food plots and some switchgrass, uh, there's so many hills and stuff down in there that they don't have a good food source. Right. So a person go in and, and pop some, some good food plots in there, maintain them as the switchgrass. I, I I can only imagine the amount of deer a person is going to not only have, but keep. Right. So there's another little tidbit about this property that I want you to hit on, and that's what's to one of the neighboring properties. Talk a little bit about that, because that's a big deal for hunters when we talk about intrusion. Yes. Uh, the property next to it is Celine Landing, uh, Celine Landing LLC, which is a campground uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, and obviously, you know, in a public place like that, the, the hunting is, is very sparse if they allow it at all. Uh, you drive past, to get to this property, you buy, drive past some U.S. government property. Uh, it borders it, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's there's not going to be, to me, just looking at it, a lot of intrusions or a lot of other hunters coming on you. Right. Not a lot of hunters Uh, setting those property lines, those deer, you know, we can't keep them on a specific property all the time, but this property is set up to where you can create bedding and you don't have people hunting those property lines going on and off. So, um, and the river blocks one side. So, you know, you, you're pretty much horseshoed in with, with your own little area of 200 acres that could just be set up magical for you. So, uh, let's talk a little bit about the auction. When is the auction going to be? The auction will be posted uh, Monday, uh, this coming Monday. The auction will end uh, June the 11th. Uh, so May 16th to June 11th is the auction line. Yes. Okay. Yep. Uh, it'll be on high bid auction service is a format that we use. Mm-hmm. Uh for those that haven't been involved with that, uh, it's quite a simple process. Uh, we just got to make sure um, the format does that. You know, you're you're who you say you are, and uh, then it comes to me personally for the final approval, and I need a phone call from you and and talk with you briefly, uh, just to remind you that you know you need to be qualified to get the money. Right before you bid, right, and uh, other than that, it's 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 real simple. Okay, and and what I like about it, Terry, it, you're not sitting in a room bidding against a neighbor or a friend. I mean, no one knows who's bidding, mm-hmm. who the registered bidders bidders are, except me. Right. And and of course, I I I I absolutely can't disclose that. Sure. So it, it makes it nice that you can sit there and just bid away and 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 it, it's it's true. I yeah, I bought, but I didn't know you were bidding. Is what right. you can say to a friend. So I'm gonna I'm gonna possibly open myself up to be in trouble by asking this question. I should have asked you this before we came on air. But can you tell me if someone is interested in learning more about the property, will there be dates in which people can come visit, like an open house to the property or anything like that, that uh, that's going to be on the schedule, or do they just need to make those arrangements with you? 
And the, the best way is to make the arrangements with me. Uh, but yes, I do plan to have an open house, maybe even a couple of them, which, which will be announced on our website. But it's, we all are so busy in our walk of life. It's hard for people to right. make schedules. Yep. But I, I, I certainly want anybody that's got any interest or any questions to get your questions answered. Sure. So I, I'm basically available 24 seven. Well, this property again, um, this, this episode of the podcast is airing on May 15th. It's going to hit the buyafarm.com website on May 16th. So we have some pictures up on the screen for the listeners watching on YouTube right now. For everyone else that's interested, uh, visit the buyafarm website and search Hardin County, Illinois. And then, I guess, Don, why don't you leave your contact information? If somebody has a question specific to this property or even others, uh, they know how to get a hold of you. Certainly. Uh, my personal cell phone direct line is 618-919-1031. That's ending in 1031 like the tax exchange. My email address, direct email address is Bailey at buyafarm.com all right don well i know uh i know things are crazy right now in your all's industry and uh we appreciate you taking the time to get on and talk about this property i think this one's got we might even talk about this one a couple times as um as more information comes out about it but i think this one has potential with the river being on one side it being elevated so it doesn't flood and then that campground government land on the other side, you're just blocking off a lot of hunters. You could make this really, really special for a duck hunter or a deer hunter. And um, I think I think somebody's going to end up with a jewel here. And it it would be absolutely gorgeous if a person just wanted a getaway. Right. Go up there and put a cabin. It doesn't have electric to it now, but uh, uh, it shouldn't be, you know, impossible to get electric sure. there yeah a house, um, a house up so it, on that up on that hill overlooking the river would be pretty wouldn't it yeah you're looking at the ohio river and then the saline river comes into the ohio so you're you're looking at the big the big river and the small river it's it's you know i sound like a salesman uh but but it is a very unique property all right. Well, thanks for being on this episode. We'll touch base back with you in a couple of weeks on this property, but make sure you go to buyfarm.com and uh, follow them on social media. I appreciate your time, buddy. Thank, thank you, guys. Appreciate right. you. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, Don. Well, that pretty much wraps up this episode uh, on May 15th. Uh, hopefully by next week, we are done with spring food plots and focusing on other uh, things that we can do to be ready for deer season. I'm excited because I got a tracking number of a new uh, box from Matthews heading my way, so I might have something here to show on camera next week um, uh, that's being sent to me from Matthews. So put that out there as a little bit of a teaser. I hope it gets here, and then uh, we'll see what else happens. Yeah, how you like um, How you liking the new tractor? Love it. I'm telling you what, uh, <laughs> this tractor, this new John Deere has a uh, – I got the most expensive transmission. I think there's about three different transmissions and I didn't want the fancy one, right. but the supply chain, like you just mentioned, it was the only one I could get. I had to pay more 
significantly more for this fancy transmission, but I'm telling you what, this thing is the ticket. You just push <laughs> buttons and you shift gears. <laughs> don't touch the throttle. Don't touch the clutch. Don't touch anything. And that this little button is in three different places. You can, there's three places you can shift gears and, uh, oh man, it, it's just, it's the nicest tractor I've had by a long shot. Well, I was, I was talking to my wife. Uh, we drove down into central Kentucky for a ball game yesterday and, um, my daughter's allergies are real bad. My, I, myself and my kids all have really bad allergies and I had spent the night before on the tractor working ground. till well, after dark, I had to get my wife to come get me real late and I'm listening to my daughter hack and cough and sneeze in the back seat. And I just thought within the, the two days previous, I'd spent probably 11 hours in a tractor cab and I had nothing. And I, I told my wife, I said, I feel like a yuppie. But I said, it's been an absolute game changer for me to have that cab on that tractor, you know, um, but yeah. uh, we both got new tractors and have been enjoying them as we've been putting in our plots for sure. Well, hopefully this time next week, my plots are all in and, you know, probably the slowest time for me as a deer hunter is between uh, Memorial Day and the 4th of July, that the month of June that there's, you know, I'm not in the woods. I'm stay, I've, I've done all my spring work. I'm staying out. My food plots have been planted, but most of the time they're not ready to spray yet in June. Um, June's kind of a slow month for me. So uh, hopefully uh, it'll be a chance for us to catch up on these listener submitted questions and maybe have a guest or two. Yep. I have another idea that I'm, I'm pitching to uh, Vortex this week um, that hopefully we'll have that segment here in a couple weeks. I've lost another rangefinder. I don't know how I keep losing rangefinders or where they're at, but um, I got online the other day on Vortex's website to uh, pick out one, and I I can't even figure out which one I need or which one I want. So I'm going to try to get uh, one of the product specialists from Vortex to uh, get on here uh, in a couple weeks just to give us some ideas about at what point do you upgrade to the next series, just like you were talking about with that transmission. You know, there's benefits and um, and um, um, to each price point. What are those? So hopefully that might might be of interest to some uh, to some listeners. I'm I hope so anyway. But yep. outside of that, buddy, um, again, go buy your raffle tickets and um, help us help us uh, with these with these families that have sick kids. It means a lot, um, and every dollar is being going going back to these families. So we appreciate it. Right. So. Ready to wrap it up? Uh, I think I'm in. I'm done. All right. God bless everybody. See you next week. Chasing Giants has been brought to you by Osseo Camo, Via Farm Real Estate Company, 360 Hunting Blinds, Victory Chevrolet, Real World Wildlife Products, Matthews Archery, Novix Tree Stands, Gingerich Tree Farm. WildlifeFarming.com, Quiet Cat, and Vortex Optics. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another episode of Chasing Giants.